0: Fire Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to the National Fire Radio podcast, a podcast that is designed to talk about the job. I'm the luckiest guy alive. I get to interview the coolest people out there in the American fire service and talk about the job. Everything from guys riding backwards, officers, chiefs up through companies, people, manufacturers, products, organizations, you name it. We're trying to capture the stories promote the job and make the job better. So if you're returning and you're a regular listener, thank you. If you're new to the podcast, check it out and let us know what you think. Podcast at NationalFireRadio.com is where you can find us. Send us an email. Let us know what you think about the show, people that you think might be a good guest or anything else that you want to talk about. Send it over to Podcast at NationalFireRadio.com. We'd love to hear from you. And what we get to do is bring forth the word about the job. But in order to do that, we need the help of some sponsors. So do me a favor, hang tight, and listen to the words from a few of our sponsors. This episode's brought to you by Box Alarm Grills. When your apparatus arrives on scene, are you making the best showing? Looking to set your rig apart from everyone else? Want your engine truck or rescue to be easily identifiable? There is a solution. With large aluminum grill numbers and full width rear mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills. Formed by Danny and a team of fellow firefighters, Box Alarm Grills gets it. They know what it means to show pride in your ride, delivering the quality construction and design that fire departments demand. That's why their grill numbers and mud flaps grab attention, enhance visibility, and make your fleet recognizable on scene while responding or just driving around town. Built in the USA by a family owned business. Box Alarm Grills is quickly becoming the choice of fire companies, apparatus planners, and fire truck manufacturers with out-of-the-box or custom solutions. Check out functional, durable grill numbers and mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills today at BoxAlarmGrills.com and on Facebook and Instagram. And like Danny and his crew like to say, add pride to your ride taylor's tins taylor and his team have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017 with over 200,000 shields in the market taylor's tins is a leader in the american fire service helmet front space not only do they manufacture helmet fronts but they do so much more locker tags key chains co monitor charts medical kit charts pump charts Banquet Awards, you name it, they do it. Go over to TaylorsTins.com and check out what they can offer you today. They've become a longtime sponsor and good friend of the National Fire Radio podcast. And because of that, they offer a promo code at checkout. So when you go to TaylorsTins.com, enter NFR Sent Me, that is NFR Sent Me, and you'll get 15% off your checked out order. It works on all stock items from Taylorstins.com, including quick tins, license plates, locker tags, and much, much more. Exclusions do apply. This is a company that prides themselves on quality and customer service. From the inception, from your design to out the door, it's within 48 hours. Nobody else is doing that. They can't do that. 48 hours to get your shield out the door to you, put it on your helmet, and get to the next job. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com. Again, that's taylorstins.com. Check out their latest offerings and use promo code NFRSENTME. That's NFRSENTME for 15% off on your checkout. And in the words of Taylor and his crew, stop burning up leather. Hey, everyone. Jeremy National Fire Radio. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's going to be a real special one. A gentleman that I got to meet a couple years ago now in Canyon Lake, Texas. Let me give a little backstory about this gentleman. This guy worked in one of the coolest places I've been to in the state of Texas. Not only that, he's got 30-plus years in the uh, fire service. He's currently is serving as a regional section chief of the T- Texas Division of Emergency Management. Before that, he was the fire chief, chief of department in Canyon Lake, Texas, from September of 2017 to 2021 and prior to that 27 years experience retired as a battalion chief with the new Braunfels Texas fire department chief Darren Brick Coder how are you brother
1: outstanding thank you Jeremy
0: it is Brink Coder right I want to make sure I'm getting that right I forgot to ask you before we started and I want to make sure I'm saying it right Brick Cater oh man chief I'm so sorry I should you know I always ask for clarity when we start and for some reason I didn't and I should have, so I apologize, brother. But anyway, okay. welcome, welcome to the podcast, man.
1: Thank you, man. I it, appreciate it. It's it is a very big honor for me. i am uh, looking forward to this.
0: This is so much fun to have you on. So you and I met kind of on a just a chance encounter, if you will. We were, uh, myself and a couple of the other guys, um, and a couple of friends, we were down there for a conference with one of the Fools groups, and then we broke away uh, the following day, and we ended up coming up to uh, look at a guy that had some training equipment in your area, and which led us to your firehouse. And uh, we were able to meet you. Uh, and you were super gracious enough to show us around and on top of that you guys had recently purchased the TDA right a tractor drawn aerial that was in yeah. your department which was super unique for you guys at the time right now this is in Canyon Lake so this is up in the mountains right it's this big beautiful lake that is uh has a, a full-time population but it's a big summer po- or a, a big uh what summer population as well there it's a, a resort town too
1: yes sir that is correct and it's a um we don't really have mountains except for way in west. So this is a t- part of the Texas Hill Country.
0: <laughs> the Hill Country. All right, I got it. Well, listen, I'm a New Jersey guy, so like anything that doesn't have asphalt, I'm trying to figure out what it is, you know. So, 100. but anyway, so in the Hill Country, it was absolutely stunning. It, the backdrop there was beautiful. Um, and we got to the firehouse was gorgeous. The equipment's gorgeous. And you had, the, uh, you had the fortunate ability to be the fire chief there, the chief of department, for four years. And, um, and so maybe we'll start with Canyon Lake because, to me, that's where we met. That was where our chapter started. But I know you have such a long history prior to even getting to Canyon Lake, which we'll back up to and we'll get to that. But Canyon Lake, what a, what a unique place. Give me a little background about it because I think during your tenure there, the, the district, like so much of Texas, was growing at a rapid pace. No? No.
1: Yes, sir, it is. It is still growing. And when we came in, when I got in there, um, they were trying to reorganize and get things moving. And when when I, we kind of got in there, I inherited four stations is what they had. And we were really blessed and with a lot of homework and with the help of the board we were able to convince and, and get a contract on that we were able to save money by building two stations. We knew that we were eventually needing two additional stations or had very long response times, and we were trying to reduce that. And with a coordinated effort, we were able to build both of them at, simultaneously at the same time and get both areas covered instead of waiting or putting one one or the other off okay. so we were really blessed in getting that move on but you know stations need people that's most important and then, and then followed by they also need apparatus so getting that the correct piece of apparatus and looking at the department as a whole of what was the most appropriate piece of apparatus were very unique it's um more of a rural suburban area yeah. so what type of apparatus best fit? And is it the traditional big O engine? Or we looked at things and went with a wildland type three engine at one of the stations, because it was the best fit for the area, that it was versatile, small enough to get in and out of the tight driveways. And we have a lot of trees hanging over the longer driveways. The houses are just not subdivision homes there they got property yeah probably, and, large so,
0: setbacks right large square footage homes too i mean they're beautiful correct. area
1: yeah all on the lake and those houses are are worth a lot of money that are along the lake yeah. as well so again just the hills and all of that was part of looking at the apparatus as a whole and to be honest when I mean, we weren't looking at a tractor-drawn apparatus either i mean when we were looking at aerial devices that that kind of came about that our regional um, rescue truck that we kind of depended on bringing more air, supplied air, or bringing more air bottles on a working structure fire and lighting for night operations, and then the higher tech rescue tools, airbags, stabilizers, big big sets of tools and, and um, cribbing sure. for stabilization. They sold that apparatus, and then that that re- regional or countywide resource was not there. So we had to look at a way of um, we had limited manpower. So if it didn't go out out of the house in the first run, it wasn't going to come. There was nobody back at the station to bring anything else. Right. We had to look at a piece of apparatus too. And, and that was kind of where the whole tractor-drawn apparatus, a straight frame, wouldn't been able to carry all the equipment that we were looking for. So it was unique and, again, a huge educational aspect for everybody. The firefighters truly never had a, a ladder truck in the district before. This was going to be the first aerial device, as well as then bring in the right equipment. The, the, with the high speed around that area and the, and the highways, motor vehicle crashes, were very common yeah. and they were very complex. I mean, we were having high-speed impacts. And and so we had to look at, like, how can we bring all of this into one piece and, and the tractor-drawn, that's kind of where that came from, that, that tractor-drawn apparatus came. There are no street lights, very few streetlights in that area. So night operations was always a deal, and they don't crash on the road. They typically fall down into in the embankment or further off the, sure. the highway. So we needed something that had lighting that we could light up the scene and and work safely, on, on at night night operations as well.
0: You know, it's pretty interesting, right? Because a lot of people think of the TDA for maneuverability and and not as much as storage, right? But what you get with a long articulated apparatus like that is is unlimited storage ability, and when you're looking to put two or three functions even into one apparatus the tda certainly becomes an interesting prospect right how did that conversation go i'm curious because you went from not having an aerial device in the district to you have a fast-paced growing district you you're on the hook for one you end up building two fire stations you need people to staff it you need apparatus to put in them and then you look at you know The uniqueness of the tda which typically you find in your urban settings and yet in the rural hill country of texas you guys elected to go with that because you did your homework what was that initial conversation like how do you remember how that the whole tda conversation began because that's really unique and interesting to me
1: absolutely again we were looking at a straight frame apparatus right oh and with that twist and we didn't again manpower is an issue so i knew i didn't need an air system on the truck i needed storage and what we designed the apparatus to do is carry 45 extra bottles and that could get us um, SCBA bottles that could get us through a good working fire for what we needed so um, that truck was designed in its entirety i mean we the, the the apparatus committee was really good, and I thought outside the box as well Yeah, because I brought in a captain from New Braunfels that was on a a truck company because, again, I didn't want them just to hear it from the fire chief. I wanted this truck to be the guys, but but they didn't – nothing bad. They just didn't have that expertise or that working knowledge of working off of a truck. Yeah. So I brought in somebody from the outside to kind of give that intel and kind of keep them on track that – hey, I need to think about this, or the truck does this, or it does something different. I needed that, and I didn't want that buy-in just from the chief's mouth, because, yes, I spent a lot of time on a truck, on a Quint, and working in the city, but I didn't want it to be just a one-way street, and whatever the chief says, this is what it's going to be, and we're going to end up working, this is it. So I kind of wanted that, but also, I mean, they had the whole buy-in. I mean, they... We went compartment by compartment, and I mean, so doggone proud of them because, I mean, they literally, we were calling manufacturers and getting specs of each equipment or each particular piece of whatever we were putting in that compartment and what container it was held in so we knew how it was going to be laid out. So everything had a home. When the truck came in, we bought our own equipment, um, and then we put it all together, and it turned out really a sharp piece of apparatus and it's functional.
0: Yeah. Well, the versatility of it too, right? I mean, you know, it's so nice to be able to um, really dive in from the, from the, from the inception of design to through delivery to be able to make it your own, right? When you decide that it's the right truck, it gives you the the most amount of square footage. Uh, you have the staffing to be able to operate it. That's a whole another issue too, right? Is to be sure that you can operate that truck to its you know maximum performance, peak performance, right? And then realizing yes, what it could truly do for you. And I, you know, when we were there and we walked through and we got to look at it, um, you know, you had plenty of room to go meaning the equipment on there, you were only probably, you know, two thirds full, not even maybe a half full. And you had so yeah. much more ability in real estate to, for more and, and additional equipment as the district grew.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned that the 30 years of service, I, I have not known yet that we're taking equipment off yeah. of a fire engine. We're putting more and more on. That's right. And I remember the days when my dad I would run around with him and, and, his time i mean that there were no compartments on the truck everything was just kept on the outside of the apparatus and it has only been a multitude of more things happening thermal imagers um hot sticks for electrical wire detection i mean just you name it that we're putting more stuff on it and so that's what we had to go in with the mindset that it wasn't going to be less equipment we need to build the truck for at least 15 to 20 years ahead and know that there was additional stuff coming at some point.
0: Yeah. Now, when you went to, when you ended up in Canyon Lake, so you got to Canyon Lake in 2017 and that's after retiring out of New Braunfels, which was um, not too far from there. Right. So you were familiar with the area, I'm sure. Um, yes, sir. Did you know the challenges that you faced with Canyon Lake, the, the growth, the, the outpaced growth and the, uh, the requirements that within, your tenure, you were going to be looking at quite a quite a expansion on many fronts. Absolutely,
1: I, I didn't know maybe it was going to be as um, challenging. Yeah. Me that uh, I mean I was told right up front. Yeah, hey, we're bringing you in. You'll be the fire chief, and the last thing you're going to get is a ladder truck. But the thing is, is that I never even dreamed that I would we'd be ordering a tractor drawn apparatus. Yeah. Like, uh, just as an example, but. I mean, it's all the educational aspect of informing the board or informing the citizens or even keeping abreast and training on the cutting edge for the fire guys so they understand why the need is there and or why we're doing different things or why we are not going to do it maybe one way versus the other way because maybe it's been tested or, or tri- trial and error and we're not going to kind of go down that rabbit trail kind of go down the more proven, the proven route. But I mean, getting the input, I, I can't say enough. I mean, the guys were, they did homework. I mean, yeah. and, and a lot of it they did on their own time that we traveled, and not only just for the tractor drawn apparatus, we'd looked at other apparatus when we we're specking. we were looking at stations, we traveled to other stations, what is best to work, how, I and mean, we ended up with two story stations because of square footage Um, keeping concrete costs down and going up made sense for us, Um, putting fire poles back in the station and and the firehouse. So little things like that, bringing some of that tradition in, but also keeping the functionality. And more importantly, I mean, the apparatus bay is where everything kind of spins around. There's no reason you make bowling alleys out of stations and they have to travel. The fire guys have to travel so far down the hall, just to get to the apparatus bay. The apparatus bay is, everything's around built around that. Yeah. And that's, that's the hub. That's the bread and butter. That's how we need to get on that apparatus. The faster we get on it and get out the door, the better we're going to do once we get to the customer's home and, and take
0: care of business. So you and I, we're going to go down the road in just a little bit talking about tradition and culture. Cause I know that's very important to you. You have a longstanding history in the fire service. Your father uh, long before you and, and growing up, you knew you always wanted to be a fireman. We're going to get to that in just a few minutes. But with Canyon Lake and the expansion, how do we, I mean, we've talked about the physical aspect of it, right? The expansion, two floors, you know, price of concrete, apparatus bays, living quarters, all that, right? That's the physical. What about the culture side, Chief? When you have a department, and I know this is happening in, in Texas because I hear about it a lot where these ESDs are growing at such a rapid pace and they're expanding so fast that firehouses are just opening up they're popping an engine in there and they're putting four guys in there and they go here's your firehouse here's your here's your new territory and good luck and how do how do we like for you the guy that believes in the the importance of tradition and culture in Canyon Lake when you got there i'm sure there was tradition and culture already established and i'm sure that you helped bring your outside influence Uh, And love for that part of the job into it as well to really fuel that. But when you're opening and expanding so fast, hiring new people, new apparatus purchases, new firehouses being built. How do you maintain that level of tradition, the importance of the traditional influence and then also allowing for new types of cultures to be born out of it?
1: I would say a lot had to do with leading by example. Yeah walking the walk not just walk, talking about it um, when they there's no question when those guys saw me on a fire scene I'm in gear I'm bunkered out I'm not going in and fighting fire but I'm bunkered out so I understand what they're feeling Texas temperatures are, are hot and humid and so I it more importantly kind of showed me in my own head how hot somewhat to a certain degree just reminded me of self-consciousness that I need to take care of them just as much. I mean, looking out where's the water, where's the Gatorade? Sure, They need breaks and, re- and rest and stuff like that. So that's just kind of walking the walk a little bit, but absolutely. Not that their culture, it was all good. We expanded upon that um, and embraced it. I didn't change the colors of the trucks coming in as a new chief. I didn't change the the outside of the apparatus i mean we we'd still followed that their traditions that they had kind of set up taking it to the next step and and putting a captain on the truck and, and a lieutenant on an engine those were some things that kind of introduced and was was kind of reinforced yeah
0: uh, but we can and, and- lose our way, though, can't we? With with such fast expansion, we have to be careful that, you know, as we expand, we're not cutting corners, right? I mean, it, it, it takes a tremendous amount of work.
1: Yes, sir. And, and, and training and just keeping up with the training and that things are changing. And we ran our EMS as well. And I, I might add a very aggressive EMS system. Yeah. I mean, we're somewhat rural. our transport times are long. Um, I mean close to an hour or a little bit over an hour if we're going to the appropriate trauma facility. Wow. So um, we had to have we introduced uh, that that was a whole nother deal. I mean bring in the equipment and listening to them of their needs and their concerns and the lack of what they had and where we take it to the next level and using and or, and or just experimenting experimenting with new equipment that was out there and would it work better than what they currently have and giving them that opportunity that they actually had an ear um, to talk to and, and listen and and kind of to make those adjustments.
0: That's cool. I mean, that's I mean that's a chief that understands his people and understands that without his people he's got nothing right like you know you you i mean i remember when we were there that day with you and the way you interacted with your guys um there was a a mutual level of respect for sure and it was fun to watch you be hands-on with the tda pulling it out moving it you know, and so on. You weren't asking the guys that the guys were all busy doing other things. And you were very much dialed in and that you could tell that there was this real mutual respect between the guys and yourself and vice versa. When we were there, it was, it was a lot of fun to watch. And then we even went out on the fireboat on onto the lake itself. Um, we were, uh, you know, afforded that opportunity. We had a blast and you had two rock stars on that boat. Um, and uh, it was fun to talk with the one guy. He basically grew up on that lake. He knew every, every little thing about that lake, and, you know, the fact that you guys, your fireboat on that lake is used not just for EMS, but it's used for firefighting as well, Um, You know, we flowed water with it. We talked about how you guys provide, um, you know, as a supply for structural fires or brush fires and you could load your UTV up on it. Like it was just a very cool experience. And I have to say that, like, it was very evident that the culture was alive and well there. The guys we were talking to were into it. They were into the job. They were into what they were doing. Um, and that comes with a solid foundation because guys aren't comfortable like that unless they're coming from a strong foundation.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You bring the fire boat up. And and again, the pride and ownership a little bit on that was um, just allowing them to change the boat number to the station that was first in that operated the boat. And so changing it to Marine 53 just uh, is is normally Engine 53 is the one first in to to man that boat, but just that that small t- twist or twitch, I, again the boat was being. All of a sudden there was a, a sense of ownership, yeah, and and pride piece of taking care of that apparatus just, just as much as they do their engine. Was I, I didn't even have to tell them. I mean they they took that on on themselves. So that was the one of the best feelings is kind of looking back and seeing that that. that it was working. Yeah. The culture, they we were biting into it.
0: So from Canyon Lake, right? So before you ended up, we've uh, not ended up, but before you got to Canyon Lake, I mean, you spent 27 years in a new Braunfels fire department in Texas, and you retired as a battalion chief. That's a much larger department, correct, than Canyon Lake? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So give me a little give me a little background, because, you know, talk to me a little bit about New Braunfels. We're kind of working backwards because I know that your father was you. You mentioned your father was a fireman prior to you and you growing up. I mean, you just always knew that you wanted to be a firefighter. Talk to me a little bit about that and the influence that your father had on you and what it was like growing up in, in that house.
1: So, absolutely, and, and it was, I mean, we spent, he spent 50% of his time there when he first got on, so my younger days, he was on one day and off the next, so on 24, off 24, and so we were a very tight-knit family, and um, in 19, or 1970, the, the fire department took on the uh, EMS system, and so that's where the third shift came on, and so then they went 24-48, so it was a very tight tight network i mean i remember just going out on the weekends i mean we we were just at the firehouse was that was our other family and doing lunch, christmas thanksgiving it was just a, a very tight knit group of people and that, that you talking culture and stuff and and going into the station and being called little Hater or little brink <laughs> and then trying to fill I mean I just I knew that's what I wanted to do I right out of high school I had to get into another job just to survive and kind of get out on my own but was in a fast blue bowl change but my whole time there I knew I it took me a little bit to get to proper training and and where I needed to and I volunteered for three years with New Braunfels prior to getting paid or going to the career side and so it was it was it was an honor to kind of be there and then work alongside my dad. You know, of course, he was on another shift um, for most of that time, but um, and then
0: promoting past him, that was uh, a little thing. <laughs> so, wow! So he ended up doing how many years? Forty years, did you say? Forty years, yes, sir. So forty years with the New brunsfield Fire Department, and then you did twenty-seven years there. Yes, sir. And. So when I read through your uh, background a little bit, I mean, we're talking emergency medical instructor, arson investigator, fire inspector, hazmat tech, fire marshal, department historian, and you helped uh, open the fire department's museum in an old firehouse. I mean, the list of achievements is, is grand. In, in over 27 years, you had a taste of all of it, it seems like, and then, and then promoting up through the ranks and retiring as a battalion chief. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anderson Rescue Solutions. Anderson Rescue Solutions was founded in 2016 by former Philadelphia firefighter Tim Anderson. As an urban firefighter and rescue specialist, Tim found that the equipment available to him lacked the usability and practicality in complex high-stress environments that rescuers often found themselves in. To combat this, he developed products based on his own experiences in the field, ...creating innovative, efficient gear designed to thrive in reality. The Multi-Loop Rescue Strap is a perfect example of one of these products. Made in America, this patented tool is used for rapidly harnessing firefighters or civilians in the worst conditions. Every feature is fine-tuned to meet the needs of rescuers battling low visibility, low dexterity, and high stress. The Multi-Loop Rescue Strap has been used in numerous real-world rescues for both firefighters and civilians all across the country and it is being increasingly adopted by fire rescue and tactical agencies as standard issue equipment I carry one I have carried one for many years it is the most versatile strap out there check it out the multi-loop rescue strap by Anderson Rescue Solutions Tim Anderson the owner and proprietor of Anderson Rescue Solutions has become a dear friend in fact he's even been on the podcast several episodes ago dropped incredible information. He's super passionate about the fire service, about special operations, and he has built an incredible company and an incredible product. So, because of our great relationship with Tim and Anderson Rescue Solutions, if you go to AndersonRescue.com, You'll get 10% off if you use the promo code NFR2023. That's NFR2023 at checkout on AndersonRescue.com. You'll get 10% off your order. And do me a favor, go over to their social media and check out Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for weekly news, product info, and other content in regards to Anderson Rescue Solutions. This episode's brought to you by Flame Decon. Developed specifically for firefighter decon, flame shampoo, body wash, and soaps reduce your risk of getting occupational cancer. Live fire testing shows that carcinogens on your skin after a fire are removed and undetectable after using flame. Flame decon has made a product that not only does its job and does it well, but that you'll enjoy using. They smell amazing. They make your skin and hair feel great. I will be an absolute witness to that. I have used the product. Tara and I have known each other for quite some time. She has sent us product. We have used it, and it does take that smell of soot and smoke off of you immediately following a shower. It makes a difference. You can find Flame Decon products at flamedecon.com and use promo code NFR for 15% off your first order. That's promo code NFR for 15% off your first order at flamedecon.com. And for departments that are interested in departmental orders, more than one or two pieces of product, you can reach out to Tara directly at Tara at flamedecon.com. She's happy to entertain any inquiries that you have. And this made me think departments need to protect their own and protecting our own is also after the fire. Chiefs, purchasing managers, look into Flame Decon as a way of protecting our firefighters in and out of the firehouse. So check out Flame Decon at flamedecon.com, use promo code NFR for 15% off your first order. I mean, so you you really had your fingers on a lot of different aspects of the job, and it's probably because you were so into the job you wanted to be well-rounded. The one thing that really stands out to me though, is the tradition side, right? Department historian and the fact that you helped launch or open the new Braunfels Fire Department Museum. That's really interesting to me because so many people don't go, they'll go all in on all those other aspects that I read fire investigation, arson detection, hazmat, right? Like, these are disciplines in their job. They're probably being compensated or whatever. It's a part of the job that, like, could promote you further. But then there's that job of the department historian, and it's usually a, like, thankless job from others. It's not recognized as important as the other jobs, but I would argue differently and say it's the most important job of the whole department.
1: I, I'd i agree, and I guess probably the the firing inspirational piece for me was growing up, I mean, my mom was part of the ladies auxiliary, so we were making the big fires as a kid, and yeah. I was even long, bringing coffee, donuts, mm-hmm. tea, taking bunker gear to the fire scene, or or worse, is getting the news that like my dad got hurt at, on the job yeah. night, and then kind of seeing all of that. But once I became like I got to be part of the part of the station, they couldn't take those memories away from me. I remember the older guys. I mean, manpower was tight back then, and, and we were a combination um, early years as volunteer and paid. But I, I can still see the engineers pulling up on a hydrant and hooking the hard suction up to the hydrant in the engine and not losing a prime. They're already pumping to the, to the fire back behind them. Um, reverse lay was real big but l- not losing a prime and hooking up and getting water to that engine from the hydrant and not having to move the engine to respot it i mean they they parked perfect absolutely perfect and single-handedly like manhandled the hard suction and hook it up and hearing the water squeech i mean it's, it was just all those things the sounds yeah. take all I of love that it. i love it So i didn't want to lose that and and the apparatus those <laughs> older apparatus were getting moved around a lot of history here in Nebronels with the German heritage and stuff and the very first piece of apparatus was bought August 3rd of 1886 and I know Texas came a lot a lot behind the East Coast so I mean 1800s is kind of our timeline so in 1886 that very first hand cart which they still have in the fire museum was almost gonna vanish it was just on somebody's property wow. and watched. And I was like, man, we need to bring that back in and we need to water the wheels and keep the wood tight and, mm-hmm. and keep and, and do some maintenance to it and take it in parades and show it off. I mean, it's a huge piece. But even beyond that, I was just by the word of mouth and looking around and looking and searching for the history, finding the first uh, 1912 American LaFrance fire pumper. That was the first motorized apparatus for the city. And then again, explaining to the gentleman that, I mean, he was offered a lot more money than we could ever buy something like that. And, and, and leaving his property with a handshake agreement that he donated it back to the fire museum at no cost. Wow. I put words around all of those things and, but this didn't happen. It was doing the research, just like you said, doing the research, but more importantly is the support of getting, and I don't know how I did it because I really don't, but getting the support of the the co-workers and the other firefighters because they all had a piece in it we we have wooden ladders on the on the apparatus in the museum and we were pushing really hard the city in 1995 was celebrating their 150th anniversary the sesquicentennial for the city and we wanted to open the fire museum that year and they hand sanded all refurbished all the ladders and put them back to pristine condition filled them all up and put them back on the apparatus and so we were able to parade and have the apparatus so we got a building full of the original trucks not somebody else's are all 100% New Braunfels Fire Department apparatus that are in in the fire museum so it, it is and it wouldn't it was going away the, the one of the trucks was parked in a park so bringing it back into the fire and museum has it, it was the a, a 1923 American LaFrance and so we have a 1931 service ladder truck with the pumper ladders and the, the ladders all the ladders are 100% nothing i mean they're they yeah. probably still a ladder test today and a 1925 Rio speedwagon uh, i love it i love it all of those things the old radios when i mean i was the guy at at dispatch or when they took a radio out of service yeah i need that and they're like well you can't take it yeah it's not going away from the city it's going into the museum we don't want to lose that piece of history the tone piece that they would hit on the desk and put up to the mic to set the plectrons off
0: that's cool yeah i mean
1: all of those little bitty things that we're going to just kind of go away i mean i'm really kind of proud at that Somehow we were able to get all of that back into there. and For sure. And now probably be able to display and, and again, bring it to the, to the new firefighters coming in. So they knew what little the guys, I mean, they didn't have a lot back in the old days, but what little they did have, they made it go a long way and made a huge, made a huge difference for the city and the citizens and the visitors to the, to the community.
0: The fact that you recognized all that though, I mean, there's so much history that gets thrown out every single day across the country from firehouses where we're erasing our past because nobody wants to put the effort in to protect and preserve it. And, and that's where to me, like guys like you, we need so many more of you because you guys, I mean, you felt you, it was so influential to you growing up, that it's almost like, and just correct me if I'm wrong, because I feel like I'm the same way, but it's almost like our way of giving back to what it gave us when we were young. Right. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Talk about that. Yeah. Including like the building, the building, doing the homework to get not, it's not only now recognized as a Texas historical building marker or building getting that, but we are also on a national level that it's a, With the Department of Interior as a registered building, historical building for the United States. So, I mean, they can still kind of do what they want on the inside, but the biggest thing is they just can't bulldoze the building down. Yeah. The city's growing. Um, The land is almost, I mean, it's going to be at capacity in a few years. And the next step on that is to take the old away and build new, bigger, and taller buildings. So, we we didn't want that to happen, especially with the the old Central Fire Station. So to preserve that and to have that piece as the original piece and it's 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 so we're like really, really proud to be able to walk on that apparatus floor and it goes back to the beginning of the department.
0: What is what does it do? Preserving our history like that, Chief. What is what does that do for a department? I mean what I know what it does for you and I. I mean, we we cherish the memories and we walk into a place like that and it's just everything comes flooding back. But say to a person that didn't grow up with the influence of the New Bronzeveld Fire Department. What is preserving the tradition do for the for the department itself, but also the people that maybe don't know much about the history? What what should it do or what is what is the history designed to do for those that serve today?
1: Well, I think one of the biggest things is to learn from the mistakes that they made back then and, and everything. If we don't research the history, no different than the United States military, if you don't go back and study the the old conflicts, the good and the bad, what went right, what went wrong, um, what equipment they had, how it changed over the years and maybe something old maybe needs to be revamped and reused type thing but getting that perspective on kind of where they came from i mean it's nice to go next door to the new modern station and see all the gadgets and stuff but to have the respect of what they did with so little or the equipment that they did have at that time um and they were still doing the job and so I, I, I definitely, there's a pride piece because they are, I mean, bringing tr- traditions back, the, the challenge coin and bringing that group, the, 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 the shift. I mean, was a battalion chief, and that was a big thing for me that we brought the whole shift together when we got somebody new and passed the coin around to everybody, the senior personnel on, on the department. And there were people far senior than I,
0: hmm. like yeah.
1: 35 years Wow. 30 something years on the job and everybody, I would always explain that when I passed the coin out to them and it was within with the handshake that they got the coin, but a little bit of all 40 people on shift got to touch that coin and take a little bit of their knowledge and to go back and visit with them and pick their brain of what they learned. What, what is their thing that they could give to the new guy? Wow, that was yeah. a whole piece of kind of give and take.
0: That serves as such a great reminder, right? Even for the guy that's been there for thirty-five years, but to, but to be there for a ceremony like that, you know, and to be to touch that coin again, it kind of just brings back all the memories, right, of what that coin means, the symbolize, the, what it symbolizes, right? I mean, it's just so powerful. Yes, sir. You know, preserving our history and tradition, I mean, it, it takes individuals like yourself that, that want to do that. But I have to believe in, like, New Braunfels, there's a tremendous belief in the importance of that, right? I mean, you can't do it alone. You have to have people behind you, others that are helping you, uh, as well as a department that supports it, right? And I know you, you had made it. Yeah, go ahead.
1: If I didn't have the fire chief we had back then supporting or the battalion chief or my captain to allow me. I mean, I mean, some of it, I, I, I couldn't do it all on my time off, but allowing them to support that. I mean, I, I still go to the fire chief today and I had a visit with him and he doesn't live here in, in New Braunfels anymore. He lives out um, a little further out, but I got to visit back with him and I said, sir, with all due respect, way back in the 1994, whenever you gave me that opportunity, to do what you allowed me to do. He goes, Darren, it was all you. I said, No, sir, not at all. There was no way that I could have done any of that without his support, yeah. without his check mark. Right. And the ceremony when he got to speak up there and the words he said meant so much to me that his words were, this was the highlight of his career. That's cool. Holy smoke. Yeah. The impact finally hit me
0: that wow, maybe I did something good just maybe, but (laughs) you did. I mean, you absolutely did. And I think, you know, kudos to the chief because, you know, he let you run with it, right? Like a, a great leader is somebody that recognizes a passion within others and allows them to explore that. And what comes out of that is nothing but greatness and, you know, to be able to preserve the history of your department a department that you spent 27 years serving, a department that you were uh, the Medal of Valor Award uh, in 2011, a Distinguished Service Award in 2012, and then Fire Officer of the Year in 2013. Like, you know, this is a department that you went all in on. You were a legacy fireman. Your father was there for 40 years. Like, this is a department that you could not, and you just couldn't be a slacker. You couldn't just show up and do the job and go home. You were so much bigger and better than that. Um, and it shows. And and so for your chief to recognize that and allow you to run with projects like that, um, that's what sets you apart, man. I mean, that's what brings me to you. That's when we met the passion in your eyes, the love you had for the job. And truthfully, the conversation and the fellowship we had, like I really there's there's not. I, listen, I talk to guys every single day across the country in different firehouses, Yesterday, I was in a different firehouse in a different state. Today, I'm talking to you and a couple other podcast people and so on. Like, I talk to people all the time from all different fire departments. And there's a few people that are standouts to me when it comes to the passion and, and unconditional love they have for the job. And you were certainly one of them. And uh, and so for that, I'm, I'm grateful. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show because I just – it comes through you. you. Like, people listening to this episode are certainly going to feel – your love and passion for the fire service.
1: Yes sir, I appreciate that.
0: Ah, uh, of course. So listen, I just threw all those accolades at you. You've had a hell of a career, a very colorful career. Um, and you still love going to fires. I mean, you know, from New Braunfels, you retire as battalion chief, you then go to Canyon Lake. Um, and from Canyon Lake, you take on a job with the state of Texas, where you told me, hey, I still get to run on fires if I need to. Um, you're handling and mitigating and communicating large emergency responses in the state of Texas now. Uh, very different than being a local fire chief. Yes, sir. Yeah. Two
1: hundred and four counties in the state. Um, I'm Directly
0: responsible for 43 of those. Wow, that's cool. That's incredible. And I know that you deal with a lot of disasters, things like that, like larger scale incidents where you're directly involved with. And so that's where I wanted to bring up your past to where you are today because, you know, it takes compassion, it takes a leader, it takes somebody that wants to push their career and go further with it on a bigger stage. And um, and that's what I admire about you. And, you know, I think that's what this is all about for you, too, is new challenges, new exciting things, and, and things that you could build off of off your past. And that's where I think tradition really falls in line. Yes, sir. That's cool. So give me a little background about your father, the influence you had there. I mean, you know, you talked about your mom being in the ladies' auxiliary, but, like, they set such a solid foundation for you. I mean, did you, you had said to me, I think you said like you knew from like the get like high school, right? Somebody said to you about high school, like you are the guy that followed through with the job you wanted, right?
1: Yes, sir. I knew, I mean, this is what I wanted to do. I mean, my time being able to go visit my dad at the firehouse was like, I mean, it was a highlight in first grade going and touring the fire station and putting my dad's fire coat on he wasn't on duty that day but the guys were like oh we know who he is and put your dad's coat on and i was he, like made my day i'm is like that was the biggest thing for me like growing up and, and then actually living living it out but i mean making fire calls i mean i, I I'll, I'll tell on myself i mean we he had a 59 forward and and again he would we would respond uh, after hours as well I and mean, something big happened um they had plectrons or radios sure and so the call would come out and as soon as i heard that go off i knew it was like okay this is gonna be a good one i'd jump in the back of the car and get in the floorboard and it had the big hump in the middle for no the drive way. yeah <laughs> go, in, go in that hump and put the fire code over me and, and wait and sure enough two oh minutes, my gosh later, he jumps in we're down the road And I knew that if I got up too early, he'd just let me out and get back home. And so I had to wait a little bit. And then i pop out, and he's like, hey. He's like, oh, dang, you scared me. Your mom was going to be mad. But get up here and help me watch. Oh, wow. Watch for traffic. And We're going to get – we're going to be – but we're going to beat the engine in. And I was like, whoa, Willie, smoke. It's like right down the road. So those days were like, I mean, then I got to stand at the corner or stand on the fire engine and while it's pumping and feel the pressure changes and how that trucks, it's those things that was like, just, I mean, made an impact for me. And later on, I mean, those things kind of came back to my head when I got to be the pump operator and putting my leg up against the hose and kind of listening to the hum of the truck. Is it working all right or is it struggling or am I almost cavitating and watching my gauges and watching the oil pressure and making sure everything's functioning along with, you know, everything else an engineer does, grabbing tools and taking it to the front door and all of those things. But I mean... Yes, i was listening to the number of couplings hitting that, that so I'm getting the friction loss correct. Or fr- friction loss correct. All of those things I kind of got instilled early on, because I had great mentors that were teaching me those things coming up. So, so important. I, yeah, I tried so hard to pass those little nuggets on to the new guys, because if I just kept all of those things they're not going to get any better and they're not going to strive to be better. So whether it be on the fire truck or even on the M- EMS unit, I mean, we passing those nuggets on to those guys and, and allowing them to, to stretch their legs a little bit and experiencing things and kind of stumbling, don't let them fail and fall flat on their face, but allowing them to stumble on their own a little bit I like that. and then, Mm -hmm. let's take that back and re reorganize. And this is maybe a little bit better way, or this is another way possibly that might work better. Um, if not, you're going to need to practice a little bit more the way you're trying to get it done to make it more proficient.
0: That's incredible. I love that. I mean, guys have to find their own way, but man, do we have such an obligation to allow for them to find their way? Meaning we guide and we mentor as they find their way through this job. And, you know, it takes somebody with a dialed in love and respect. I mean, you have I think you equally respect the job as much as you love the job. And and respect of the job I think is super important too, because you're a protector of what you know and you're a protector of the nostalgia, the history, and everything that comes with it. Is that partly why they still invite you back to talk with the new guys in new bronzefelds?
1: It is. And that, again, that's um it's, that means a lot more than they even know. They they feel
0: Talk it. Break I, that down because I think that's a one. It speaks to the department and and what they value, and two, what it does for you.
1: So they the new guys today. It depends if they're a, a basic EMT or a paramedic. It depends. So some of the guys are here for four weeks before they go get out on a truck. Some of them, uh, the paramedics have to stay a little longer, you know, like five to six weeks before they get out on the unit by themselves, and. I normally get them on, um, they asked me to come in the morning of their, their badge pinning ceremony that later that afternoon, and I get to walk them through the fire museum and the stations and talk about how the stations were built and how they came along, the first firefighter fatality in 1947. Um, we've had three in the city. And talking about each of those incidents, water is a big thing. Our department is very big on swift water rescue. It floods a lot. We get a hundred year flood almost every 20 years or less, um, sometimes within a matter of just a few years. So we used to talk about the flood of 42 and, um, or, or 32 and 52 and 72, but then we were experiencing the floods like even in my career in 98 and 2011 and 2001 different events but just as I mean to be expecting that and and how would we transition so fast I mean from lightning strikes during a storm that we're in full bunker gear to swift water gear that we're taking all the bunker boots off and being ready to get into some swift moving water with the two rivers we have in the city and being flexible enough that articulating all of that. And then, and because uh, you never know what you're going to be on. Yeah. I mean, not a big department that you're just on an engine company or you're just on the truck or you're only on the ambulance. I mean, our first new ambulance is, is their, their orders are gear up, pack out, and they're, they're part of the initial firefighting team. The second in medic unit will be the one staging for rehab and or medical needs unless there's a a grab in the, in those first few minutes, but typically the first in medic unit is, is part of the initial firefighting crew. And and I think that's pretty awesome because that it keeps everybody. It doesn't matter. You're not just on the ambulance. I mean, you get to make a huge difference in, in, in somebody's lives on that, but then you also still get to do the job of fighting fire and, active rescue calls and such like. So it was very, very versatile in trying to keep pencil sharp on all of those.
0: I, I love it. I mean, I think that's great, but the fact that they invite you in, a retired battalion chief, and then a retired chief uh, from a, a neighboring department up the road a little bit, and then uh, somebody that works for the state of Texas now, they still invite you back to speak with those new kids on the, during the day of their pinning ceremony because... They put value in the history of what their department has gone through. I think I think an introduction like that speaks volumes to those new kids coming in.
1: Absolutely. Hopefully, they take just a little bit of that and keep it going, keep the history going. They're, they're writing their own book and, and the department's history book as they move along. But if they're able, my whole thing is, is that they can take a little bit of that and see where it's come from and uphold that honor i I guess one of the biggest things is is that once you're sworn in as a firefighter you're never able to take the badge off whether you're in uniform or not you're always a firefighter um no different than a marine once a marine always a marine yeah they're on duty whether they're off duty or not their demeanor their actions or inactions are as a direct reflection of that fire department so i want them to know that i mean it's it's very very important to value those things and to know to get off on the right foot
0: yeah i mean but you're also demonstrating to them that their department is buying into them as much as you've asked them to buy into the department right it's like no you, qu- yeah 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 i'm sorry go
1: ahead yeah just there's no question to that i mean and their the current chief feels the same way i mean he, his responsibility is to borrow them for the they work a 48 96 shift now and to borrow them from their family for 48 hours to serve the citizens of the city and and to take care of them for that that amount of time so it's it's real real. I mean, it's it's very very important for them to, to know that. I mean, if they're just punching in and punching out, I, and there's no question that there would be a, a high turnover and such like if if they're not feeling appreciative. Yeah. So, and again, it's not just words; it's by actions of the people. And so you gotta like have. I don't know how else to say it, but you gotta lead by example and actually show through action and not just words.
0: I love that. Uh, It's very well said. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. So what's next for you? I mean, you have a new chapter now that you've been doing for about a year and a half with the state of Texas. um, It's quite an interesting uh, position that you're in a a very different, I think, than, uh, than what you were doing. But I think the, uh, the jobs leading up to it certainly set you up for it. And, put you in a good place to to work with the public and and work with the state of texas what's next for you man i mean is this uh this one's gonna be a good go for a while and and so on i'm curious because i think you bring so much to the table and uh yes sir yeah
1: this is, this is the goal it yeah. came a little than i thought uh, opportunity comes at the weirdest timing you never know um sure. but their organization was growing um TDM was growing and they were creating new positions, and um, that opportunity came knocking, and I really had to look self myself in the eyes and kind yeah. of see that ultimately where I wanted to be, and it was kind of the right position at the right time, and so it has been, yes, sir. I mean, no telling what emergency or disaster, natural disaster or man made disaster is could happen, but we're here to do that and I mean a much bigger footprint. I if I didn't realize anything, I mean I knew Texas was big, but <laughs> I realize maybe how big when you get behind the wheel and and have to travel as far as we kind of do on on major events yeah so it's really really good we really get to to actually expand upon i mean i get to talk to 43 um county judges and get to know them and build that trust because i don't want to meet them in the middle of a disaster Our, our boss thrives on we got to know these people beforehand because when there is something that happens they need to be just a phone call away. They need to know who to call, and that may be myself or one of my one of our staff, and that if they're in need, they've exhausted all of their mutual aid, and they're needing more resources. They know who and how to contact and get those things, that ball rolling, and then we work with the governor's office to make those requests happen as, as fast as we possibly can.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, chief, uh, very honored to know you, to talk with you today, to get a little bit of your story. And like I said, man, I can't wait to cross paths with you again. Um, you know, we just, I I really enjoyed my time with you when we were out there and I enjoyed my time today with you. And, um, it's just exciting to watch you flourish. And I think, um, you know, I'm excited to see, uh, as, as the, uh, your position as the regional section chief for the texas division of emergency management i'm excited to see where that goes and uh, you know i wish you nothing but the the most success with it man i think it's fantastic
1: i appreciate it jeremy and you're doing a phenomenal job i listen to your podcast i'm very honored to be here with the competition or the other ah,
0: coaches, come on
1: other guys that you've interviewed they do a phenomenal job you do a bang up job of bringing out the good and people and and spreading the word that's the biggest thing is spreading the, that those little nuggets and spreading the word out of what how people can do better and and better themselves and the fire service as a whole hell yeah we we darn sure don't hear all the time of what all the good these guys men and women are doing out in the field but we dang sure hear it when somebody messes up so you have that opportunity to bring that out and and the best of those people and and let everybody learn from uh, i wow. mean an thank you deal. even the tiller time my hat's off to you it's phenomenal the new um equipment that's being put out and you going out and and, and working with those people as well Bank up the
0: Uh, I thank you. That's uh, coming from you. I I take that as a very large compliment and I I do appreciate that. Um, I will say this, the importance of this podcast is literally to listen and hear everybody's story. Everybody has a story, whether they're teaching on a national stage and they're the most influential person in the fire service down to a guy that may not have had an opportunity to share a story or an experience, but it's just as grand or important as anyone else. And I think everyone in this, Fire service has a story to share, and I want to capture them because I think what propels and pushes this job forward are conversations like you and I had today for this last hour. Because somebody will always get something out of the conversation, and it might not hit thousands of people, but maybe 10 or 20 people that listen to an episode pick up something that either makes them laugh, changes their attitude, maybe changes their course in their career right on a big scale. But like, whatever it is, like for me. This, it's a selfish endeavor. It, it allows me to talk to you again, but if we can capture our conversation and maybe, you know, change somebody else's day or, or talk about how important tradition is to you. And the fact that uh, new Braunfels where you retired from originally invites you back to still talk with their probies. And maybe somebody listening to this goes, man, that's a great idea. Maybe we should do that. Right? Like that's the power of, of this podcast and the people that come on here. And so it doesn't have to be the biggest name in the fire service to tell a story and to make an influence and, or, or to have influence. And so, uh, Darren, I, I can tell you flat out, this was a great conversation and I'm sure somebody got something out of it today. And it's because you were willing to give back yourself today. So it's not just me, it's, it's our guests and it's the people willing to share their stories and their message because it pushes this job forward. And that's what we, we're all obligated to do that. Um, and you know, I pale in comparison to you, what you've done there and, you know, protecting tradition and pushing tradition forward with your people and the next generation, man. I mean, that is just as influential as it gets and, uh, kudos to you, man. Thank you, chief for joining me today. Truly appreciate it. Thank you very much. Awesome. Good. Well, let me do this. I'm going to sign off the podcast and I'm going to come right back to you. So don't hang up, stay right with me. And, uh, and then I'll be right back to you. Okay. Thank you again. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Great. Great. Guys, thank you for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio podcast. Darren Brincader. Did I say it right? Brincoder? Brincader.
1: Brincader. Brincader, yes, I sir. got it
0: right. Bang. All right. Well, listen, I'm sorry I butchered it on the intro. I do apologize, but we don't edit, so it's you're going to have to deal with it, chief. I apologize. but That's all good. Uh, I appreciate you so much. Guys, what a great story today. What a great story about tradition preserving our tradition and history and pushing our job forward. Because frankly, we can't go anywhere if we don't know where we started. So preserve that history and culture in your firehouse and push it forward to make this job better. Take this conversation, take it back to the kitchen table tonight and talk about it. Because when we talk about the job, we are making the job better. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. Fire ring.